0: Hello and welcome to our podcast series on how to drive multi-channel success. I'm David Conn, founder of The Multi-Channel Expert, and I'm here today with David Werby and Mark Pinkerton of Prospero Commerce, one of the leading independent digital consultancies in the UK. A warm welcome to both of you, David and Mark. Hello. Hi. In this podcast series, we've been exploring a range of issues that you and your business are faced with every day. The three of us have many, many years of experience and expertise working for and with retail and customer brands, and we brought this together to come up with a set of practical suggestions and ideas that will help you deliver greater success in your e-commerce business. We really hope you find our discussions useful, and we look forward to your feedback. In today's episode, we're going to explore the subject of trading effectiveness. I'd like to start by asking you both What do you mean by trading effectiveness?
1: David, thank you. Um, I think for me, this slightly um, unusual category called trading effectiveness is simply to try to get a measure of your output relative to your input in terms of results. We all know the climate of today is challenging. And businesses more than ever are examining how much they're spending and what resources they're utilising To drive the results they expect. And this category is something that we felt passionate about, would give businesses a measure of how effective they're being at driving the kind of results they expect. And that can be done at a campaign level, but it can also be done if you roll it up at the very top line business level. So it's a true measure of whether you've got one person in your team or 101 people in your team whether or not you're driving the kind of results you would expect, benchmarked against your competitors,
2: and at a at a practical level, we're talking about trading for the digital channels that you have as a business, not the offline channels, although the interrelationship with them will come to. Thank you.
0: Now that sounds to me like just day day to day work. But what is what is it that makes you say that it's particularly important now? Has it changed over the last few years? Why the focus on this subject?
1: I think getting more from less is an increasingly important subject, particularly for retailers and for brands as well. Uh, Trying to ensure that every ounce of energy or budget or resource you spend is delivering against your expectations. And as business owners, you deserve to understand the result of those efforts and energies and sometimes it's about technology sometimes it's about people sometimes it's about skills but ultimately if you're plowing resources into a business in order to grow it whether that's growing sales or growing profits you need to understand the correlation between that input value and the output you get against your expectation and it comes in many forms and I'm sure we'll talk about them there's there's on-site optimization, whether it's marketing or merchandising. There's data in terms of product. We'll talk about all those subjects, I'm sure, later. But at the top level, it's about giving business leaders the opportunity to understand that if I plow in ten percent more effort, what energy results do I get out the back end of my organization?
0: Okay, well, that all sounds very interesting, but uh, and at a holistic level, I
2: think you know, it, it is pretty much about e-commerce growing up. We've we've gone through many years of being a natural growth for e-com of, you know, pick a number, 10, 20, 30, 40% a year, being a natural growth rate, to the last couple of years when actually minus eight isn't too bad a result, um, post-Covid, and and that has changed the mentality associated with, with e-commerce. So, you know, e-commerce has become more important to, to businesses maybe as they've closed shops but actually as a result of the market expansion in in digital and that has changed the way that you can look at these things from an overall business point of view. It is now more important simply because digital has become a greater part of the total.
1: And I think extending that point we come to the concept that Businesses that were formed as offline businesses that became digital, for whom Mark has said now become dominantly digital, the tools that are now available in order to optimise your business are very different from the tools that existed when you were principally an offline business. So the tools that existed, I think, when I was in retail 30 years ago, were generally strategic tools. On a Monday morning, we woke up, and we discovered three new things we needed to do that we didn't really, have we been new last week. And they were blunt instruments, they were generally about price, they were generally about promotions, they were generally about product. But today's world is so much more complex than that. And e-commerce and digital has data that allows many, many, many more incremental decisions to be taken, sometimes without human intervention, that give you the opportunity to optimise your business. So it becomes more about marginal gains and less about big clunky Monday morning strategic decisions.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting, David. And what you're talking about there is more of a philosophy, if you like, than an actual uh, set of actions. You're talking about a philosophy which is relentless improvement, always looking for change. Are you also looking at a change in what you might have called a top-down approach to trading, which would have been driven typically by the buyers or the product merchandisers, to maybe something that's a little more bottom up or a little more channel specific is that something you're seeing yeah
2: very much so and i think it, it, as you say it is bottom up um looking at the data that covers everything um, and we'll come on to data and measurement in a, in a little bit but there are many more points of data available to somebody doing a merchandising role or a trading role and the nature of that trading role has really changed over the years, so that actually having somebody who is effectively an optimization engineer within the sphere of trading is probably the right skill set or capability that somebody an organization now needs going forward rather than somebody who is a product merchandiser.
1: Or indeed whose experience qualifies them to make strategic decisions. And I think today, as you've pointed out, those, incremental micro decisions are collectively more powerful than some of those traditional senior leadership decisions that were often made on gut instinct experience of the past sometimes um than than, than they were then so i think yeah, the world I... of work has changed in that sense and the people that have the data are not the ceo and therefore the people who are empowered to make decisions are not the ceo and organisations that empower their individuals who have the right data and can make the right decisions are arguably in a stronger position than those that exist from the top down.
2: Yeah, and so you're right. It's very much an inverse way of looking at an organisation. And it's not unusual within the digital world for that, for that to be the case. But it is new, relatively new, within the merchandising, merchandising sphere. And we have done a number of programmes over the years where... I can say with a reasonable degree of certainty that by automating and using systems and tools to do the job, rather than gut instinct, there will be, you know, at least a 20% improvement of performance through using
0: a piece of technology. Fabulous. Well, thank thank you for that. And I I think uh, just to reiterate what David said, I think we're all aware of the HIPPO principle, the highest paid person's opinion. The only time in my experience that was correct was when I was the highest paid person. (laughs) Um, Now, obviously, you you started to touch on data there. You started to touch on questions. I know you guys are doing a lot of work with multi-channel companies, with e-commerce businesses. Where do you start? What are the sort of questions that you're asking these businesses to try and get a picture of where they are and what they need to do?
1: Yeah, that's a good question because our model is built on sharing of data, asking of questions um, to all the relevant individuals. And as a subject within our eight eight sector wheel, trading effectiveness has questions around it that allow us to get under really two things. One, how mature is the organisation in using technology to allow good trading decisions to be made? And secondly, how naturally curious is the organisation in wanting to know something in order to be able to optimise it. and I'll give you a couple of examples. One of the questions that we, we love to ask is what analysis have you done of your online returns? And how does that compare with your offline returns? Now there's three parts to that question. The first is do you know what your online return reasons for returns are? And some people do and some people don't. Do you know what your offline returns are? Uh, reasons for returns are and there's less people know the reasons for offline returns for obvious reasons. And then thirdly have you done any correlation? So if someone's able to tell us that they understand the reasons for online returns and they understand the reasons for offline returns and their analysis suggests these are the points of difference and these are the hypotheses as to why, you know they're in a fairly mature state in terms of being curious about what's going on and that's the best position in which to determine future actions.
2: Yeah, and we were talking before, uh, offline, about the uh, situation that a fashion retailer would have with bodycon dresses, where they might have a 40 or a 50% return rate in, in store, but online, an 80% returns rate is not that unusual. And in that case, for that category of product, it may well be just a better customer experience and a better trading decision to emphasise the fact that the customer can try the product on in-store, which will take cost out of the entire process as far as the retail is concerned.
1: One of the other questions I know Mark particularly likes, but I'll just outline it and he can maybe talk a little bit about it, is do you trap availability? Do you understand availability? You probably understand demand, but do you understand lost demand, i.e. opportunity that you're not taking advantage of, and what reporting is in place to give you that sense. I know that was something you were interested yeah, so in. The,
2: the availability one uh, is one that I've worked on in the past whereby you can track the viewed availability of a product on a product details page on a website so that if there is fragmented stock available of, of that product you've got five sizes for, for making the maths easy, you've got five sizes and two of those sizes are out of stock then you actually only have an availability of 60% of that product. And it is possible to set up your analytics to track that every time the page is viewed and then correlate that with the conversion rate of that product. So you get a very clear view of the impact of availability on product sales and very few retailers do that.
1: And let's not forget that if you're a customer who wants the size that's unavailable, you are 100% unavailable.
2: Correct. And also, if you are a size medium and you go to that product and that size is not available, that is just not gonna get tracked because there's no interaction with the page that would track you, unless you have like Bowden always used to do on their fashion website good. Where, where you have my sizes
0: and therefore a product is not presented if it isn't available in your size. Thank thank you both. Those are really good examples. What I like about the approach is it's helping you to get an understanding of the performance itself, but also to understand the organisation mentality and almost their natural curiosity for trying to get underneath the skin of the statistics and understand why things are happening. Now, let's move it on a little bit here and look at some of the aspects of trading and trading effectiveness that you would look, look to optimise. I guess one of the first things, or the main things, is, is the funnel, the customer journey, is trying to get your customers to get from their first interaction with the business through all the way to basket and checkout. Why don't you talk about some of the areas that you would be looking at um, if you were looking at a client?
2: Yeah, well, the first area would be around marketing optimization. So how effective is the organisation at spending its money to drive traffic to the website? And clearly the costs of uh, Google, either specific product or generic uh, terms, the cost of Google is going up constantly um, and the returns involved are generally dropping. We know that e uh, conversion rates have dropped this year. However, at a practical, pragmatic level, there's a degree of de-duping needed across the various parts of the organisation to make sure that you're not offering both a an overall campaign and a special offer simultaneously. So you know it's not that unusual to be able to set, set those up properly in the system, um, but you dedupe that. Uh, but again, you don't want to offer too many conflicting messages to customers at a, t- at a time. And the other one is to make sure that the promotional calendars that you have, both from a an overall brand strategic level, but then also from the the more tactical product-led promotions and then website-based promotions don't conflict with each other. So you need quite a well-tiered promotional calendar visibility within the organisation to make that work. And that has to be available to everybody from marketing director or e-com director all the way down to the individual traders and merchandisers. Yeah, David.
1: We tend also to think in the marketing optimization world that those organizations, and it's a generalism, so it's kind of true mostly but not necessarily always, that those who see a delineation between customer acquisition and customer retention tend to be slightly more sophisticated in how they tackle it, simply because in one sense you're doing a very different thing from what you are in the other, customer retention is a very different skill from customer acquisition, and blindly trying to acquire customers that you to mark's point, uh, will have to de-duke you already own is a, is, a, is a foolish pursuit, um, and it ends up costing huge amounts of money. So one of the things we will do is try to help you work out the degree to which you are retaining customers, and therefore, consequently, the degree to which you need to recruit them in order to hit your sales targets.
0: Yeah, I mean, my guess would be that many of the digital marketeers listening to us uh, are all about optimization. I guess one of the areas that's probably more ripe for development would be the whole area of on-site merchandising, what you put on the website, what you put on your PLPs, what's on your product pages. What what do you think the audience can learn about these areas that would be of use to them?
1: Well, this is where I think there's good news for merchandisers, because the world of optimising product listing pages has moved on tremendously, and there are a huge plethora of tools available, whether they're embedded within your platform, whether they're bolt-on applications that you can acquire to effectively turn your page into an algorithm-driven world. Having said that, I'm still very surprised how many businesses we talk to who still insist on having all the red dresses together and then all the green trousers together. Uh, That still is a requirement for some businesses, but the vast majority who have now drunk the Kool-Aid, I think have moved into a world of being able to say the engine can do a better job than any human can do and on-site merchandising can be algorithm-driven rather than driven by an individual.
0: Well, one of the questions I've got, maybe Mark can pick this up, is what what, what are the sort of measures, what are the um, metrics that on-site merchandise should really be focusing on to try and improve performance? Well, the classic sort of
2: analysis um, that I've been involved with in the past is one where you're looking at the efficacy of each product and it may be across multiple product pages product details pages depending on the structure and nature of the site is to look at the number of times the product has been viewed versus the number of times the product has been bought and then you can map that out on effectively a two by two matrix and then you can end up with a whole bunch of products where you either need to drive more traffic to it because they convert very effectively the the opposite of that would be actually to have a whole bunch of products where they don't convert, therefore they, they're they performing much worse than the rest of the site, and you have to look individually properly at those products and look to improve them in some way and work out is it product imagery, is it product description, because let's face it, the template of the overall page is not one that's going to differ across PL, PLPs or PDPs.
1: But I think this is a this is an area of of the website that has advanced much more, as I said before, in terms of technology. So so here I would expect you to be more uh, curious to explore tools that can help optimize the success rate of a customer arriving on a PLP and then clicking on a on a PDP. Clearly, the the the, the goal here is to get customers to to look at product detail pages and then add to bag. But if you strip it back, it's trying to move from a PLP to a PDP. And I think advanced organisations have now set targets for individuals who, who, who manipulate the algorithms and drive the algorithms to set targets for them in terms of the degree to which they, that their customers can do that. Um, in the old days, it was a bit lay out and hope. These days, it's a much more active pursuit, uh, you know, with, with tools that even prevent people clicking on the X button or the back browse button there are ways of you ensuring that you achieve a higher level of click through to the next stage than ever has been true in the past.
2: Yeah, I yeah, couldn't agree I, with you more. I wouldn't honestly uh, approve of uh, removing the ability to press a back button, but uh, there's dark patterns that uh, would fall into in my book. Um, but But very much, you know, these tools now can access lots of data sources across the organization. So we're talking search and merchandising tools where they can be algorithmically driven, but they will, you know, unlike a human which will probably take in two or three different sources of data to, to make a decision about the layout of a, of a PLP, and you know, if, if you're doing that manually and you decide, like one of our previous clients has done, to change the order of the PLP at three o'clock in the afternoon every day, and that is a manual process, that's an awful lot of work for nothing, whereas if you have an algorithmically driven tool that will check that change should happen automatically a number of times through the day but also they go from taking two or three data sources to being able to include you know an understanding of current trends and the changes of those best-selling performance, promotional activity, inventory levels, margin levels, uh, weather Um, all of those sorts of things can then start to get played into the mix, which means you get a much more sophisticated
0: output. Excellent. I mean, Mark, I know one of your passions as well, and one of the things you see as a big driver of trading effectiveness is the quality of the product data that you're able to surface to the customer. There's quite a few dimensions to this, I guess, but what what do you see happening in this area? Do you see it uh, as improving um, yeah i
2: think i mean both from a both going back to the bottom up top down analogy i think at at a more sort of strategic level there's being a change in the levels of the organization responsible for uh product data i mean historically the econ team used to have to get their hands dirty because it was the way to make the website work but now you're getting with uh you know, tools like product information management tools, PIM tools, uh, you're getting process flow uh, with stage gates set in them, so that if a product doesn't meet the required standards, it doesn't get published to the website. And therefore, the merchandiser will get told, you've got 10 products this week that haven't met the criteria, they haven't gone live. Um, therefore they have to go and sort them out, so you ensure the quality of, of what goes live in the first place.
0: And I, and I guess speed to websites is also a key issue?
2: Oh absolutely, I and mean, one of the questions we always ask is, how quickly can you publish a product to the website from when it comes into the warehouse, because that tests a number of different systems in the background. Um, but it, you know, it, I think the fastest we've seen is about 10 or 15 minutes, and the slowest is you know somewhere
0: in the region of about three weeks. I could probably show you slower than that, but uh, <laughs> let's, not, let's not go into that right now. I'd like to switch a little bit here. I mean, One other aspect of trading effectiveness is how you manage your channels. Now, many of the people listening to this will be trading through multiple channels. They could be on Amazon, they could be on eBay, could be on Next. How have you gone about looking at how a business optimises the way it trades through its different channels?
1: I think if you wind the clock back a bit, maybe five years ago, the effort was 100% trying to achieve retailing on through different channels. It was about the process of doing it. That took everybody's effort, that took everybody's energy. It wasn't easy, it was cumbersome. There were tools to help, but they weren't particularly helpful. And I think what that did is it relegated the important subject that is about the nature of customers and the different groups of customers that exist in different channels. So if the effort were, was 100%, let's just expose our catalogue to Amazon or to Flipkart or to one of these other third-party businesses, then that's where your effort went. Today, identifying differential catalogues as a result of differential customer profiles is where the optimization world cuts in. So your customers on your website are unlikely to mirror the customers on Amazon. So understanding the dynamics of Amazon, and there are plenty of tools that they will provide you with and share you with if you ask enough times, to finesse the catalog and to some extent for some businesses, the prices that are relevant in that channel. So it's a it's another version of your world, but with different customer groups with different expectations, you know we all know using Amazon example, um, it's a it's a very fast, almost browse-free world. It's a one-button checkout, it's quick, it's fast, it's zooming. That's often not what retailers think of their own website to be. It's more of an immersive experience where their brand is the centre of the universe. That defines the fact that customers are going to be different and their expectations are different and you need to treat them
0: differently. One of the questions I'm interested in, and this may be a little difficult to answer but how do you measure things like cannibalization you know surely if you're selling something through Amazon and you're selling the same product on your own website surely you're going to cannibalize how do you measure things like this well I mean historically I've done that in a in a very
2: simple way which is to say you know assuming the products don't go live simultaneously then you can look to see if when it goes live on Amazon assuming it's gone live on your own website first which would be what we would always recommend but if the product has then gone live on Amazon how has that affected your own website sales and okay taking one product in isolation you might not come to any conclusions but when you do that over a portfolio a range then you can get a reasonable view of where not cannibalization has occurred and we we have had clients in the past where we have thought there would be cannibalization but the data absolutely does not prove it so you know we have to. Um, accept that as a, as a hypothesis disproved.
1: Mm. Differential ranging is one of the ways around it, but on the basis that a lot of catalogue is core, particularly for brands, you do want Amazon to be selling the same things as you. And that brings me, and Mark and I have had this experience at least twice, to kind of tell a story of the home of the brand. There are many things that Amazon will never be able to do for a brand. Um, treat it in the way that the brand owner wants it to, but equally, we've seen some really bad examples where, where businesses take their catalogue, give it to Amazon and assume that just because they've got their catalogue, job is now done. We would recommend that you identify the unique nature of your own business and boost that. Amazon will never be the home of the brand because it's the, only, the only brand it's the home of is Amazon. So make your website the home of the brand and if customers who want the rich immersive experience of your brand are true to it they will come to you. Amazon will be an expedient, quickly satiated thing but if they actually want to really immerse themselves in all of the elements of your brand whether it's your uh, great product information, whether it's your great content, whether it's your great warranty service, whether it's your fantastic return service, make those your USPs which is unlikely to ever the USB of an expedient business like yeah. Amazon.
2: but I would also argue that you don't necessarily want to put all of your best sellers onto Amazon because that does risk some cannibalisation um, and if you don't do all of them then at least you've got a, a comparison that you can look at to see whether or not all of your um, best selling products are um, being cannibalised or not well, just, But, also, but also, sorry I was going to say but also you've got individual metrics that Amazon offers like um, owning the, the buy box um, which gives you a very clear view of how well you're doing versus other people who are selling your product mm. particularly products that you know or brands that go via wholesale route as
0: well I, I suspect channel strategy is a subject that could occupy an entire podcast and we we may come back to it later in the series I'd like to move on slightly here um, I guess people listening to this maybe think well this all sounds little tactical how much difference does it really make you know what what if my the brand i'm working for is going backwards what if the pricing strategy is wrong what if the product range isn't right i mean how, how does all of this feed into those strategic questions that really do need to be addressed
1: well it's a really good question i've personally always been of the view that your digital business can almost do everything for you. It can test almost anything you want to test. So in extremis, if your brand is suffering with potentially a pricing problem, its prices are too high, it isn't really very difficult to establish an alternative route to market under the same brand and experiment with pricing. Experiment is the important word. I'm not suggesting you change everything on your global website to be 10% cheaper tomorrow. But you can experiment with geo-regions, you can experiment with certain parts of the world, you can experiment with certain parts of the UK, if that's relevant to you, to understand the impact, the net impact, of of bringing prices to a new level. You can also do that with ranging. So, you know, many of you will have online exclusives, um, albeit that that's only ever going to be 10, 20, 30% of the range. You can experiment with that Uh, in a way that gives you a sense of what would happen if your business became that. Um,
2: Yeah, and similarly, you can actually use the website as your endless aisle, so you can have a much greater range available on the website because actually stocking or listing more products doesn't really cost you anymore. Um, And there are clients that we've worked with in the past where there have been products that have outlived their usefulness in stores, which have gone on selling online for several years as a result because okay it's a dwindling audience but it's still material enough to, to warrant having the product listed.
1: So I think if your business has at its heart a kind of natural curiosity and a thirst to learn more, putting the web to use in a variety of more strategic ways will help uh, you do it. I remember a slightly slightly connected story when I was at Harrod's a few years ago. Um, Harrods was were clearly concerned about the, con- the negative consequence of opening a second store. The first store is what it is, it's the only store, there aren't any others. Uh, so we were very active in using the web in other parts of the world to understand the extent to which there was thirst, demand or interest for some of the brands that Harrods sold. And that was a very risk-averse way of dipping our toe into the market and certainly much more risk-averse than opening a another green and gold store and finding that it damaged the mothership.
0: Yeah, nice. I think what you're describing there is almost like a digital as a strategic spearhead, uh, somewhere where you can do things that are far more difficult to do through other channels. a slightly less charitable way, I'd be calling it the budgie in the cage, um, where you can really test things. And that that leads on to my next question, which is How how does this affect the people that work in digital? Does it mean they've got a wider role? Does it mean they've got a role of more influence? Does it change the sorts of jobs that we do? What what do you think about the impact on the organisation here?
2: Yeah, I I think that it has changed, or if it hasn't changed in many organisations, it needs to change, and you know, it doesn't actually matter whether we're talking retail or whether we're talking a brand owner, because the the problem is, is true at a CPG level as well. But the merchandisers or the people who buy, sell, create the product effectively now have to take ownership of the sales of their product or service through not only the retail store, but also through the website. And that's a fundamental change. So kind of offloaded that responsibility onto the Econ team who then ran online merchandisers because they understood the technology. But now people have grown up with digital sufficiently long that that should no longer be that sort of split um, within the organisation. And as, as David said earlier, you're going from merchandisers who are there to make it look nice, put this dress next to this pair of boots, a point where actually they're becoming... The optimization engineer for their range of products. I mean, you look at Amazon. Um, we've used them as, as an example of, of merchandising, but they will have one person merchandising up to a million product lines, and the algorithm and the machine is what you know implements their decisions. Then, for a brand where you're being the home of the brand, clearly you want to curate things a lot more closely. But what you're going to end up doing is controlling and managing the algorithm that the search and merchandising tool that presents the products to consumers is able to display in the right order the right product
1: and i think if you at a slightly more strategic level if you kind of chart back the evolution of retail from being product-led businesses to being arguably brand-led businesses and i think the kind of current nirvana is a kind of customer-led business then the notion of seeing your business in a in its component parts is less relevant than seeing it as a journey for a customer and and the best place for that is online because you can map that journey, you can see it from start to finish and I think the engineer's role is to ensure that the customer can move seamlessly from this page, that page, that page, they can follow the center of information and they understand it and it's logical there are no barriers in the way and that, that kind of customer focus follows and I think those that are maybe slightly more progressive than others will see that journey as their success. If you can make that journey easy and simple um, from start to finish, then you are likely to have less sticky pages, sticky in a negative sense pages, and you're likely to have a better net result, and you're likely to be more efficient in your trading effectiveness.
0: Very nice. Well, that's a, that's a good place to almost finish. Uh, you've got one more task uh, in this session, and that is to try and come out with the one gem that our listeners should take away the mark.
2: The one thing that I would take away from this is that there is a plethora of data available to you to do analyses of what's going on, and to try and do that analysis in a more, I'm not sure strategic is the right way, but in in a more intelligent way than than many organisations have done so far. Um, But then also being able to have confidence in the systems that you should have in play, whether it's a PIM or whether it's a search and merge tool, um, or both, that then allows you to actually implement the decisions that you take. Well, my point was going to be, also around the top-down, bottom-up, but I'll
1: switch it to not forgetting the true nature of your organisation. I.e. we're teaching a story here, or preaching a story here, about the use of technology and the conversion of traditional jobs into engineering. For some businesses, that is too far away from the very DNA that they have. And that's not a bad thing. I think what you have to do is you have to take this and apply it in a way that's logical to the nature of your business. Don't try and bet the cart tomorrow that this can be your way of working if it never has been so far. I think you've got to use it intelligently and use elements of it that are relevant, not try and swallow it all whole.
2: So you mean if you've got a very creative-led brand that you don't want to totally fully go with down algorithm. to the data engineering route because it's just not applicable Explore to it and experiment, but don't bet the shop on it. So it comes back to being
0: an appropriate home for the brand. Well, thank you. That. I, I really like the comment you made earlier about e-commerce growing up. Um, I think this podcast has demonstrated how e-commerce is growing up, the sort of impact it can have on your organisation and some of the th- specific things that you could be focusing on. Many thanks to both Mark and David. And I hope you join us for our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you.